Second star to the left of podcast everything fantastic, strange, and science fictional. I'm your host, Matt, joined by my co-hosts. I'm Bert. I'm Katie. I wanted to share with our listeners. Uh, Chris um, had some other obligations right now that were, you know, really demanding, and um, he needed to prioritize. So um, we want to let you know that, and um, we wish him well, obviously. And uh, we'll hope he he'll be back later on to guest with us on some episodes when. Things are less busy for him, but um, we appreciated his, um, we appreciate him and his participation, and uh, he'll be missed. So, yeah, so this the short version is Chris went back to his home planet. He did not <laughs> die on the way, though. That's so and that's that's true. Really, the best mission. outcome. I mean, I wish I could go back to my home planet. <laughs> It'd be great. Me too, but I would probably do the dying along the way thing. Um, yeah, it's no fun I that way. I did myself into the sun. Anyway. So, yeah, um, this prior week, we had some scheduling conflicts, so we're back now. And uh, before I dive into this week's awesome episode on Alien, wanted to uh, share some reader mail. I'm going to check right now, because maybe we got some. We have reader know. mail? What? So, uh, before we dive into this week's episode on Alien, we have some reader mail. Um, this week, uh, Joseph writes in to ask us, um, what... Uh, science fictional food would you most like to try um food or like do, do drinks count i think beverages could count yeah sure uh except you can't say raw meal and ale that's a cliche <laughs> it's cliche to say you would drink raw meal and ale <laughs> it goes way back that in, in the literary brandy, yeah. canon uh uh well oh god um Fizzy lifting drinks? Does that count? <laughs> it's not really. What's that from? Fizzy lifting Willy, drinks? Willy Wonka. Oh, right, right, right. You yeah, stole yeah, yeah. fizzy lifting it. drinks. It's cliche. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh. Um. See the see the funny thing is the only thing that pops into my mind is Soylent Green, uh, which I definitely don't. <laughs> I don't want to eat. I know. I uh, I would like to try the Belter Red Kibble from the Expanse books. They talk about it a lot. It sounds like it's basically Cajun food. So, I guess if I had like Gok, that would make me like an awesome like warrior dude or something. It's Gok, right? Damn it, Bert stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> try again. Okay, so this will be a little bit esoteric. I think blueberry lembas. From Lord of the Rings, but with blueberries in it. Wait, what? Yeah, I'm gonna like. Well, like, oh, I Lumbus see what you mean. As, okay, you, but with blueberries. You just said that, that sounds. You just said blueberry lumbus with blueberries, and I was like, that sounds. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, my backup answer was going to be that whole fucking feast and that scene from Hook. Ooh, it's like watching people eat like wet play doh. <laughs> oh to me it looked like like basically an entire spread of like rainbow sherbet yeah oh, except oh. that it wasn't frozen oh yeah. i'd fucking eat yeah. it <laughs> uh well that's that's your answer that's your answer joseph i'd fucking eat it this week we're talking alien so this week hot. it's gonna be a really boring podcast because no one's gonna be like this fucking sucked Ah! <laughs> 
So, that was the trailer for 1979's Alien. Folks, we know this is going to be a We Love It episode, but we really love this movie. Obviously, all of us, but for different reasons. And I, for me, it was the first time seeing this movie in quite a while. And I found myself with a new appreciation for it in lots of different ways. But I'd love to hear from you all. Um, how is revisiting Alien? Well, what's what's Alien about, Matt? No. <laughs> Everyone knows what <laughs> Alien is about. What's the story of Alien? No. <laughs> well, if you've ever, if you're familiar with the Greek myth of Orpheus. I thought no. you were going to say Prometheus. I swear to God. <laughs> Which I'm no. sure we'll talk about. Uh no, it's this is about Orpheus. Orpheus goes into the underworld and retrieves genetic data from a human. It's about an alien. That's what it is. It's called Alien because it's about an alien. Yeah, uh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Top ten, top five favorite horror movies is. It might be my favorite. It's hard to say because then you're just talking so many good movies. It's like, and they're all different. Um, it's definitely my favorite sci-fi horror movie, which is a little more specific, I guess. Um, Back when Ridley Scott was just, like, fucking incredible, um, which I'm sure we'll get into sooner or later, what happened to that dude. Uh, yeah, it's a really good movie. Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well. Like, I'm gonna, sure. I'm gonna just, I mean, like, the things that I was saying in the, in the group chat are, like, no, are nothing new, right? Like, yeah, it's not, no. like, new or incisive. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure the directors like even talked about like their choice for what they went for. So, but I can wait on that. I like this movie. Uh, I also like how if you put them together, um, they're almost like mirror images. But like this, and I think like the 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 one that would be like almost uh, evenly in opposition to would would be uh, the thing. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of the same concepts, except it's isolation, and it's primarily, like, men, and, you know, that's who essentially ends up living. So, I liked to think of that as, like, oh, what what if you, you put this almost, like, as, like, a package deal between, like, The Thing and Alien? Because they both have, like, costuming and um, practical effects that have held up really well, uh, I think, over the ages, so... Or over the ages, sorry. Over just like the decades, not ages. The eons. No. <laughs> no, I mean, it's been like 40 years since this it's, movie yeah, came it's out. Yeah, it's been 40 so. years. Oh so. my god. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean. And, and for context for our listeners, we watched the director's cut version, which has some small differences uh, compared to the theatrical cuts that you might have seen before. It's actually shorter. Yeah, they actually just I think they, cut a lot. Yeah. Uh, Scott was involved with the director's cut, and he cleaned up some extraneous dialogue, I think that I really enjoyed as I like, saw what was cut from it. He's um, actually said that um, he did the cut. He doesn't necessarily think it has to exist because he thinks the movie was really fucking good and it went really well. So it's kind of like, eh, here's some minor things I'd do. But it's not like it's not like the Blade Runner cut or anything. It's just like, there you go. I messed with it a little bit. It's kind of hard to tell the difference, to be honest. The thing that stuck out to me the most was just... Um... A little bit cleaner introduction to the characters than the Nostromo, and I think that you know, speak of the Nostromo, I appreciate Alien as <clears throat> really influential in the development of what you might term like hard sci-fi mm-hmm. in terms of like those like unclean spaces, and you know, Katie and I are hardcore fans of the Expanse. Like for me, I don't think that the grittiness and like naturalism, for lack of a better term, I suppose of the expanse could have existed without alien as like one of those like forefathers of um influencing how we conceptualize space technology and the grunginess the material conditions of it the work workhorseness of spaceships yeah um it's man for 1979 there just was not i mean it's such an important movie there just was not a lot of sci-fi that i feel was like this uh i mean star wars was huge and I feel like they got, I, I, I mean, I listened to the commentary for this and they, it feels like they got the budget and the, the go ahead for this movie because of, because sci-fi was, you know, huge at the time. Um, I mean, 1979 was a crazy year for sci-fi. I think I have a list here. Um, it's like Star Trek, the motion picture, 
Alien. Um, they, I believe they re-released Star Wars for the first time, if you can believe it. Um, the Brood, Phantasm, Mad Max, and of course Stalker, the best movie ever made. But um, they were all the same year. So, but it's just like I feel like sci-fi was campy, even like in the Star the Star Wars sense, and this was like, now nah, there's like no camp. Like it's just like this is an ultra serious, fucking scary sci-fi movie. Um, it must have been insane at the time. I, I can't even imagine, like watching it in a theater when it came out. I think my parents did. I'll have to bug my dad about that. I don't think he liked it though. <laughs> oh. Like I think my dad, my dad was like really into sci-fi like um, early on, um, but I don't remember him talking about it much. So I don't think he liked it if he did see it in the theater. Um, the effects you were talking about, you mentioned the it's forty years old or whatever, and the effects were they they hold up really well. It's it's like there's some stuff in the movie that could be silly, but it just like it just works. Um, I don't know, like, a lot of the makeup, like, the thing, the makeup is really good, but it's so, it's more subtle in this movie. Like, it's just not, like... Well, I mean, like, the makeup on, like, the actors just shows that, you know, they're tired and dirty and, like, ragged. (laughs) Everything else about it is, like, there's a guy in this suit, um, and, like, that's... I mean, like, like... I mean, like, the creature, I don't know what you fucking call it. Like, I always think of it as, like, yeah, and the, and the, um... The little the tiny chest one, the chestburster, and the um, you know, Xenomorph. the statue, like yeah, the uh, the suit, everything they had to do was just like, um, oh the and the android stuff is really good, which which he talks about how they did. It's just like uh, like pasta and like <laughs> diluted milk and like all kinds of weird like makeshift shit. And it's just like you see, you're like yep, that's a robot. You don't even really question it at all. I think, like, that was... Because I didn't watch this movie for the first time. Like, of course I knew about it. I didn't watch it for the first time, I think, until, like, last year. Oh. Um, and it was only the director's cut. So I've only ever seen the director's cut. And, because, um, like, I've seen Aliens. Um, yeah. Like, the, I haven't, I've never seen the first one. So I guess, like, to me, seeing it after having seen Aliens, like, you know, early on... Um, like the the android part was like probably the least believable and I think like the roughest cut, but you know I do also understand that that they weren't using high tech special effects. So, right. and I forgot who who was the android in Aliens? Bishop. Uh, Bishop. That's right, Bishop. What is his? What's the actor's? Do you know the actor? Uh, I always get it wrong. Is it Lance Hendrickson? That's not him, is it? It might be. It's the guy from it? Millennium. Oh, James Woods? Oh, no, no, no. no. Uh, If I was right, I'm going to freak out. I'm probably not. (laughs) I always get his name wrong. Uh, You are right. Ah, yes. Hell yeah. 20 points for (laughs) Gryffindor. (laughs) Fuck! No, get the fuck out of here with that. Get out! Now we're down to two. Uh, <laughs> kick it off the pocket. No, I hate that shit. Uh, I'm just saying that I win. Um, but yeah, Lance Hendrickson was Bishop, um, who is great. But Ian Holm is so good. Man. Ian this... Holm is in so many sci-fi movies. I love Ian Holm. This podcast has made me realize like how much I love this dude. Because like, he's in Fifth Element 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I remembered he's in From Hell, which I don't really think we'll ever end up watching. But he's fucking great in that. He's, and he's not like a household name or anything. <laughs> it's just like he came close around Lord of the Rings, like yeah. yeah. But like that was like the end of his career, basically. Yeah, man. I will say, um, I appreciated the special effects more for how dated they were. Yeah. Like, um, I really, <clears throat> in comparison to like the later Alien films, I really appreciate the practical effects of a person in the suits right Mm -hmm. like it doesn't feel so what sorry go ahead oh um it doesn't feel so i think like cgi gives people space in terms of special effects to do things that um are unnatural and i think it's easier for us to um our comprehension of them to just kind of turn off the fear because it's like oh that's not realistic that can't be realistic right I think, and when that happens, like this creature, um, 
it retains that fear because it's a tangible thing that I can tell that Sigourney Weaver is interacting with. Yeah, and and one of the one of the most amazing things they did in this movie and accomplished was the lighting. Like the lighting is so fucking good in like every scene. It's just incredible, like the kind of lighting they get with CGI. Man, you're you're just making up fucking lighting. You're putting light sources in places, and and it's like, but it's computer bullshit. So like, when people interact with it, like it's, I mean, you can you can get it so it looks acceptable, but you can't get it to where like it it's so weird because like they have like the laser effect in this movie with the fucking they actually borrowed it they, they talk about it in commentary they borrowed it from like the who was in the studio next door and the lighting guy for the who was like <laughs> yeah you can use this laser light that we have but it's like so fucking good in the scene like it's just you don't and that's that's a good example of like kind of quote-unquote cheap effects or simple effects like you don't like it's it's a big fucking laser light like at a pink floyd show and it sets this barrier between like where the eggs are and you don't ever, like, you don't watch it and go, oh, why is there a laser light? This is dumb. What is this, Spencer's Gifts? You're just like, whoa, this looks cool. And holy shit. Like, it, the whole movie has that, like, um, when they go in the ship and they have the suits on and they have all the fucking just atmospheric, like, condensation on them and you can barely see people's faces. It's like, it's just got a lot of atmosphere and lighting to it. Stuff that... I mean, these days, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it when we talk about Prometheus, I guess. <laughs> it's just not as strong. Well, I think you're talking, you're talking about the way that the story is told through non-script-based means. Like, one of the things that I appreciated most about the film that I didn't really notice until I was watching it this time around is how the camera style changes yeah. as each person is kind of killed off. Like, we have a little bit of handheld stuff early on as they're in the ship. Um, and like in comparison to like you know contemporary like quote unquote shaky cam, yeah, this all feels purposeful. Either if, if there's movement with the camera, it's because I'm in there crawling down into the innards of the alien spaceship with them, and then at the end it's shaky because I'm a Sigourney Weaver and I'm booking it for the fucking airlock as fast as I can, and that's why this the camera is shaking that way. Right. Yeah. It's just this beautiful economy of storytelling. Like, I, like, it's just Ridley Scott. He, he was so good at this point. It's just like, like I said, I don't know what happened. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe it's not even him per se. It's just the material and... and, and. I think he got into Swords and Sandals films, frankly. <sighs> kind of, I mean... Like, Gladiator was big. Kingdom of Heaven was a variation on that style of filmmaking. See, funnily enough, I feel like Kingdom of Heaven is usually where people, like, delineate where his career went, like, super downhill. And from what I've heard, like... I love that movie. I think it's From great. what I've heard, the studio... The director's cut's are phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. Right? The, the, the way the studio cut that just totally destroyed the film. And then, like, the recut, which is, like, super long. I don't even know how long it is, but apparently it's really good. It's, like, three and a half hours. It's not as bad as something like 47 Ronin. Like, 47 Ronin, for me, was a film where I could see it in the theater, and there was very clearly another film right. in it that the studio really poorly recut around and had you know new scenes all that kind of stuff and i could see the bones of a film that starred hiroyuki sanada but they refilmed it around you know keanu reeves it was not as bad as that but um they definitely cut things or made the focus of things other aspects of the story that weren't as important um they the director's cut from what i recall really fleshed out the uh storyline of Suleiman and who he was in the Arab world, which was important. He's a huge figure. Um, I had a Syrian teacher um, of Arabic in college, and she said that was one of the few films in the West that she ever saw where Suleiman was, um, or sorry, Saladin? I think it's Saladin, sorry. Uh, where Saladin was portrayed uh, positively. Mm. And like with like some kind of like respect for him as a, as a fig, as a historical figure. Okay. I, I gotta watch it, but it's not gonna be... Do not stay tuned for Kingdom of Heaven, a definitively not sci-fi speculative fiction movie. <laughs> um, yeah, the only thing in this movie that, like, the director's cut brings in that was, like, definitively not in the original movie was... is the the scene with uh, Tom Skerritt and Harry Dean Stanton where they're, they're dying and she finishes them off. 
that was totally cut. Which which is it kind of makes sense. They talk about it like that's during the escape sequence, and there's all this oh we got to go and get away and da da da. It kind of breaks that up. It it has its own like purpose, but it's like does this need to be in the movie? Eh, probably not. It's interesting. It's not. It doesn't hurt it or anything. It's just different. It's part of that like alien canon, because like people are so deep on the sort of alien xenomorph universe and why and how it functions. It's kind of an interesting case study to me of a fandom, frankly. Yeah. Like the alien fandom and people who are into that. Um, so like, because for me, like I was like, wait a second, I thought aliens reproduced this particular way, and you know now that's all changed, but. Um, yeah. And they made up an excuse, of course, like for it to function biologically, but you know, that is what it is. Yeah. Interestingly, I think that, you know, there's been a, like when people talk about this movie, they talk about kind of the symbolic or underlying things. And I think that's kind of why it's really the best alien movie out of all of them is because like, like, and the writer talks about, uh, I forget his name. The, the writer, he's, he's a famous like sci-fi film writer but oh dan o'bannon yeah dan o'bannon he he talks about like you know they were writing the film and they had to figure out how the alien's gonna get on the ship if they accidentally bring it on the ship and he's just like uh why don't we just have it i mean effectively this is this is these are his words he's like why don't we just have it rape the dude like and then he just gives birth to another alien and Erdo's just like i that's just like so out of <laughs> anybody's ideas at the time. It's it's like it's just such a bold choice, I guess, to have like basically a, a rape movie centered around men. Like with that's with the f- why it was so scary. Yeah, exactly. Well, but that's but see, then I thought about that while watching it and while listening to him talk about it. Is like it's it's so it's terrifying to men. I mean, it's terrifying for everybody, but it's. It's men can watch like like I was saying I was thinking like if a guy watched like uh, Irreversible or something or I Spit on Your Grave or one of these fucking shitty rape movies like rape revenge movies they don't get like terrified of that they they might get uncomfortable a little bit but they won't get terrified because they are not being like men are not being threatened in most of those scenarios you know what I mean it's always women and they're just like oh well this doesn't affect me so I can't even put myself in that in that position and then you know you watch alien it's like oh shit like this is what women <laughs> like this is i don't, what women, uh, I don't know if, if if a lot of people put that specifically together but there was the whole like yes you are forcibly impregnated and it will kill you right cool um which is you know the well because in america we have some of the worst um maternal and child uh, mortality rates uh, still fucking happens all the time here, so that's cool. But yeah, uh, Alien is the story of a movie who, like, should have listened to the woman to begin with. Should have done the quarantine. They were like, no. She's like, see, I could have, like, say it would have been a different movie, of course, so it wouldn't have existed. But yeah, um, I feel like this movie is very much heavy in, in gender politics that a lot of people don't consider. Well, see, I think that's so interesting because... I, I so I saw the documentary Memory, uh, which is a documentary on the creation of the movie Alien, and Dan O'Bannon, like that wasn't the forefront of his brain. Like I think like it's definitely there, and it's like Geiger's artistic illustrations, um, and how uh, he was or G, uh, Giger, sorry, Giger, yeah. how he was like sort of like conceptualizing this alien ability, but it's not the forefront of what Dan O'Bannon was writing. And like he had borrowed from like other sort of ideas of uh, spaceship infestations, or like there's a short story that he had borrowed from where this meteor had crashed landed like an aircraft carrier. People ate these like seeds from the meteor, and then the alien bursts out of the person that ate them. Right. But like the gender stuff there, it's not. I don't. It doesn't seem to be overt, or, or, or it doesn't seem to be uh, intended. But, like, that's so much there. Even the concept of, like, mother, you know, this, like, outside corporate entity mm-hmm. um, guiding them what to do. But mother has no interest in nurturing them whatsoever. Yeah. I, I think like, it's... Yeah, go ahead. Cartwright, 
so the 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 lady who played um Lambert, like I think she actually at one point what describes, like off um not like on in on camera or part of the movie, but like describes, like the cave as looking like a womb because of how it's painted, like. So, like, it's all very much there, intended or not, it's still heavily there. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I, I think... Oh, like, the, the Evolva sort of, like, lips of the egg itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and G. Giger's art is all extremely sexual, yeah. penetrative, yeah. in so many different ways. It's extremely horny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and using, students using eggs in the first place, I mean, they didn't really need... And it, that's actually, like, the, it's on the, like, um, the poster, you know, the legendary posters, the fucking chicken egg. But, like, they didn't have to use eggs. They could have just had fucking facehugger run around and jump on cane. Like, they don't have to do that. But it, it's, it's like, I, I, it's definitely not over. Like, the, pol- the politics and the gender and all that isn't, like, I don't think anybody is deliberately making that thematic statement, like, in the, in the movie, but... It's it's like I feel like somebody, at least one person, was like, "Yes, we are doing something here." And even if they aren't, it's it's very, it could be a happy accident that everything came together that way. But like that's one of the reasons the movie has such appeal and such lasting like importance. Um, there's also the thing that like, because this is like a fucking incredible cast. Uh, there's literally just everybody's fucking great uh harry dean stanton yafet koto uh tom scarrett ian holm is obviously great and sigourney weaver was not like anybody at the time i think she she was in like some theater stuff but like the they talk about it on the on the commentaries like oh yeah sigourney weaver was like new and everybody's like who's this and she would say things that like like to agents and stuff that like people just didn't say in Hollywood. She's, it's like she didn't belong on the set. And you kind of get that feeling watching the movie is like the first half or two thirds of it is like nobody really... She's not a company player. Yes, and she's like rebellious and plus like nobody else really can deal with her. Even Tom Scar- Tom Skerritt can like... He's like, I guess I'll handle it, but like he, he doesn't... He doesn't want it's, to... It's like he doesn't want to own up to anything she brings up. You know, so she's just like battling with everybody. And then finally it's like, oh, like she's the fucking star and person in this movie. She really like it's 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 a great performance because she she it's both like on the screen and off the screen. It's just like, I'm just going to fucking make my presence known. Like I'm the important thing that's happening. Um, Yeah. And I don't know if I describe it as importance, though, like. I think her performance in this movie to me is so kind of understated. Yeah. I think you can tell from an early point in the movie that she's a survivor. She's going to make it. Yeah. And but as a as as a as a relatively like a new actress, like I said, I know she's done theater, but like that's a very bold and good performance for for somebody who's like and and plus like you've got everybody on set kind of acting like you don't even belong there. You know what I mean? It's like, you really have to like, it is, I, I feel like in the nature of the, the making of the film and in the film of its, itself, it's like, she has to fight to gain dominance over the thing. Um, this is how it feels watching it. It's just like, I don't know. It's, it's this, it's even more so in aliens because by that point, that's her role. It's like, she's, she's fucking surrounded by Marines and she's like, fuck all y'all. You don't know anything. <laughs> Well, I think that's actually, I think, the really neat thing about Sigourney Weaver is this franchise found someone who is an awesome action star. Yeah. Like, that I don't think... And she doesn't do that much action in this film. Like, she has a little bit, but she's not really an action star in the way that she is in the later films. Um, And to have lucked into that and to have cast someone who is that good at action uh, is kind of incredible. I feel like with the gender stuff, like, I don't know. I know Dan O'Bannon brags about it. Like, he definitely is like, yeah, we 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 made it so woman is a star. And da-da-da. I mean, I don't think he puts it that way. But it, and it's definitely like, yeah, we had a guy get raped in the movie. And, and it's all about I mean, he definitely talks about how it's about politics and stuff. He also does readily admit that, like, because um, I think he said 
people used to bring up like you know did you get this idea for alien from this specific thing and, he, and he's like i got the idea from alien from like literally every fucking thing like every single sci-fi thing yeah. i've ever seen like it's totally cannibalized i mean it's all there um uh, i've lost my train of thought some of the things i really appreciated about it as i was sort of like watching it with that sort of lens um i like how the movie um uh, the music really uh changes over the course of the film I think it starts off in this very like 2001 a space odyssey place yeah um very like classical and you know flights of fancy type things and um over the course of the film it changes drastically to disappearing or just that sort of like tension and and heart pounding piece like just so much about this film it feels like one of those rare perfect films where like everything just comes together right like mad max fury road in a similar sort of way of just like Everything about this film works in one way or another to communicate and push forward the story. And, like, not everything is as lean or as focused as uh, this film is. Yeah, I... I want... Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) I think the only thing that was kind of questionable about, like, like it, it almost feels like it's from a different movie is the, the Android stuff. And, and they had said as much that it was kind of like a case where they were like, this, this happens in too many movies where you have to have somebody like, you have to have a mole and they secretly backstab just, it's like a, the movie's dragging in the second act. So we need some kind of intrigue. Um, but the thing is, is like, I feel like it probably felt that way when they wrote it, but it just, when you watch it, it's so fucking good. It doesn't like the, I think just like in particular the scene like just the realization when they knock his head off it's just like so there's a lot of like very matter of fact violence in this movie that's like out of nowhere and and very like casual that it's just like i don't know that's that's really what gives it its edge it's just so terrifying um see i would would, for me what's terrifying is that ash is just as much a threat as the alien itself is to their survival as a crew. Yeah. Like Ash is, does not care about their survival at all. Uh, he doesn't care. He has no sense of his own self-preservation. And so, um, his preservation is oriented towards preserving the creature and getting it back to the corporation. And I think that to me is the real interesting piece is like, while there is this alien threat, I feel like Ash, particularly like the last third of the movie or so, you see him as the embodiment of the corporation that just has zero regard for the crew. It does not care. It's, it is a bigger threat even to them than the alien itself is because to them, to the the corporation, the alien is a tool. It's a thing that they're going to take apart. They're going to study. They're going to learn from, they're going to profit from, but the crew is completely expendable. And I think, that to me is a sort of like inversion with the real terror for me. Yeah. It's like present in the interpersonal violence of the alien on the crew, but it's also there in the benign disregard for their well-being and safety by the corporation. I'm just saying like it from a, from a pure writing, like plotting perspective, it's kind of lateral from the actual main focus of the movie, which is fine. Like it's, it's a subplot, which it, in the end, it adds to the movie, and it works really well in the movie. It's just, then they, they kind of talk about it on the commentary. They're like, eh, you know, when when we put this in the movie, we're kind of like, I don't know if we really need this. Like the alien or the Ash, Ash the The Ash Corporation subplot. It, it's just kind of, yeah. To me, it adds a whole texture to the film that it would be missing and would be much less interesting without. It works. It would be. Yeah, because it. it I feel like it's... Otherwise, it's just like yes, it's this. There's this alien that is is pursuing us, that's killing us off. But I really do like the implication that like, oh, but uh, corporate greed's gonna add to that your impending doom. Sure. Like, um, and isn't Wayland Utani like? Isn't that in multiple movies? Isn't that like in Running Man? It is. I don't think they had identified Wayland Utani as the corporation. Mm-hmm. I think they just call it the corporation. Uh, in the well, film. in the background of a few scenes, they have like 
it's in Japanese. It says Wayland Yutani. And since then, like, it's one of those canon things you're talking about where when they were making the movie, it's just like, it's just a thing. Like, who gives a shit? And then, like, because the movies became, like, a big thing, people went, ah, Wayland Yutani, it's in that scene. So now, like, you know, it becomes a bigger deal than it actually ever was. Yeah, I mean, it definitely works, the the Ash thing. The thing is, is, like, all I'm saying is, like, if you were to just, if you had the script in front, which is something they talk about, too, is, like, when they had the script, it didn't really, there's a big difference between, like, reading the script for this movie and fucking watch it, because it's so good, the way it's shot, and the the effects, and the music, and the lighting, and all that stuff. So, like, when you just look at the script, it's it's actually, most of it is pretty cut and dry. So... You can look at something like that and be like, mm, is this going to work? Is this going to fit into what we're doing? And it does because, like I said, like when they knock his head off, it fits in with the way the rest of the movie like portrays that kind of violence and surprises you and subverts expectations. And the corporation is like, you can't mm. trust anything. And da, da, da. But like just on the page, it's like, mm, this is like a subplot. Will it work? But it, it ended yeah. up working. I could see that from like, if you're looking strict at this script, yeah. but like... Ash's monologue about the alien is so admiring and that is the most emotion that is like authentic in the in his portrayal that's interesting it just sticks with me like how he he just admires its perfection they actually originally had a completely different monologue that he gave that was like totally totally different and it was really good, but I, I I don't remember if they cut it because they got the effect wrong or something wasn't right. He might not have even... They might have just said, eh, do a different type of thing. But And it was, like, incredibly good because it's Ian Holm <laughs> monologuing. But, like, yeah, it, originally I think it was more like, you know, he's in the like, oh, we had to get the alien and da 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 It's less, like, I don't know, poetic or whatever he's going for. Um, I don't know. It, it ends up working out. It, and in... And, you know, they have Ian Holm play him. It works out great. <laughs> the dude's just so good. Yeah, sorry, this one's boring because we're just like, yep, it's great. It's great in all the ways that you so, suspected. So, let's talk about how Prometheus sucks ass. It is a terrible movie. I've never seen it. <laughs> Not really. We can't really talk about it because we'll probably end up seeing it. Uh, I've only ever seen Alien and Aliens. That's it. Man, those are the best ones. <laughs> yeah, I want to keep it that way. A sad thing about this film for me, because we talked about how, like, uh, you know, Katie mentioned your dad had seen this in the theater, and this you know can get to a larger critique of capitalism. Uh, right now, this is a Fox film owned by Disney, and uh, Fox used to have a really great relationship with repertory theaters. So, for people who haven't heard of repertory showings, um, that would be when a local indie movie theater would buy a print or rent a print of a film and screen it for people. And um, without Disney's sort of Disney has very strong controls uh, over the repertory films they release and share with people. And right now, people have heard that there is no person working for Fox um, that is doing this kind of work. Which means that experiences like your dad's have seen this in the film or seen this film in theaters um, might be something that we don't get to do anymore. Which is kind of sad because I think films like this are really great, and Fox has so many great science fiction films um of the you know the 80s and um most uh, most of those like 80s action films the terminator um alien that um seen in the theater is a sort of visceral experience that enhances watching them as a movie yeah you mean like movies like this won't get released in the theater anymore no this one that, yeah specific you would... like you know like some some theaters will be like oh look we're gonna have a screening of this Oh, uh, movie tonight uh like right. alamo draft house here does that a lot or like some of the indie theaters yeah they'll have like you know midnight you know that sort of thing yeah but now you don't get that yeah uh i mean i feel like theaters in general are not doing great as far as i know i mean like like in terms of box office sales you're correct right. but like for the sort of niche market of second run theaters or people that are doing like specialty right. showings they're trying to get people within a movie experience um, that not having access to the Fox library is a pretty big ding to a lot of significant classic films, particularly in the sci-fi genre. Yeah, that's a shame. You also don't get to see Rocky Horror Picture Show, which <sighs> I am. <laughs> I'm still never I have mixed feelings that. about the audience experience for Rocky Horror Picture Show screenings. 
Oh god, that is technically sci-fi, isn't it? Mm. Rocky it's got like time travel, doesn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. It's extremely uh, sci-fi. It's our next episode. Oh ready, my god. <laughs> Don't do this to me. Can we watch Phantom of the Paradise instead? Uh I don't know what, that is. what? Okay, well we'll we'll get into this in the in the audio that we're not recording. But um yeah, uh man, I'm trying to think of like when I first saw Alien. Um the first time I saw Alien, uh, my uncle showed it to me and my sister and my parents. Well, my parents had already seen it, but it was sort of like a are you ready for this film? Yeah. I think I was like 14. Um and my uncle showed us Alien cuz my uncle's a huge Halloween horror movie fan and so this was kind of a really fun movie to turn off all the lights and you know experience this um (laughs) this horny scary movie (laughs) (laughs) um it's interesting like uh i mean it's a classic it's it's part of like like the way that um i would say like you know high schools make you read the great gatsby or whatever like Alien as well as films, like if you love sci-fi, like you should see this film. It's it's, it's really fucking yeah. Incredible. It's just interesting to me because like every time I watch it, it's like so I don't I don't really think there were a lot of horror movies like this at the time either. Like just the way the horror is done. Um, maybe there were, but like I believe this '79 was probably around when slashers were coming into prominence. If they weren't already, there weren't really many sci-fi movies like it either. It's in, and honestly, if I think about like most of the movies I've ever seen, they still really aren't. I mean, a lot of movies have been influenced by Alien, for sure, but they don't really do the, the same kind of thing. Even Aliens is like a totally different fucking movie. Like, it's an action movie. Yeah. I mean, Halloween had only come out the year before. That was yeah, like pivotal and one. Alien 3 is technically a horror movie, but like it's not like in the same vein at all. And, you know... Ridley Scott never did horror movies again, as far as I remember. I mean, you know, if you want to count Prometheus, I don't. But um, I guess it's a horror movie. It's still not. It's just not the same. Like, um, it's just weird. This movie, like, you get to that chestburster scene, which, I mean, is obviously iconic. But it's like, it's like every time I watch this, like, I just did not think the movie had it in in it to do that. (laughs) Like, to just take a, like, regular fucking scene. And then just and and honest like uh, they talk a lot and I think a lot of people that like this movie know this about how uh, Veronica Cartwright like had no fucking clue that was gonna happen when they shot it <laughs> like when they in the actual take because it just fucking the squib blows up on her and she literally just like freaks out and yeah. flinches and goes back and it's it's real because she's just like really you fuckers are shooting squibs at me and I don't even know what's going on uh, which I mean I'm not a big fan of. I'm not a big fan of uh, surprising actors on the set. It was a different time, I guess. Hopefully they don't do that anymore. Nobody's firing guns behind people on set to get them to jump and shit. <laughs> um, they might have to, because everything's CGI. They're like, <laughs> we need them to jump now, and they can't see shit. <laughs> There's nothing actually happening. It's a good movie, y'all. <laughs> Go watch Alien, 1979. I'm trying to think if there's more to say about gender in this one because there's something about like sort of like the penetrative nature of it mm-hmm. i mean like yeah there's like, like there's like dongs and and <laughs> vaginas imagery like just straight up everywhere but like that's that's like nothing new though like i don't feel like pointing that out makes it like it's like something you notice the first time you're like that looks really phallic to me weird like it's i feel like i'm not really being incisive by exploring you know those those sorts of aspects of it is like the the actual like genital aspect of it because that's just skeeger being like what if this was actually a biomechanical dick right like, exactly got it <laughs> most of got the actual <laughs> physical things are just geeger so that's just you know I wonder if Giger is just like, I'm going to do this and it's going to be so sci-fi. Literally every woman is like, yeah, I got a vibrator, dude. Who cares? Like, <laughs> it's not that, <laughs> like, you're not that cool, okay? Giger's like, ah, yes, I have invented the vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> um, e- well, I know that for uh, Giger, um, O'Bannon and Scott, like, purchased his artwork because the studio didn't want to spend the money on him um he had done the work and then they're like no we're just gonna buy it so like 
like Dan O'Bannon commissioned that work from uh, Giger himself, like personally. Yeah, they built like a lot of these fucking sets. The the it really pays off when they see that pilot. That's the weirdest thing. So like the pilot, you know the big fucking pilot thing, right? The big pilot alien, the space jockey, yeah, the elephant. Yeah, well, like I think they barely even touch on what it is or why it's there, like yeah. in the movie, barely. And yet they built this huge fucking set for it. And it's a huge art piece and a huge set they walk around in. And like, it's just there to be there. You're just like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then they just move on. It's like, man, like most movies would never do that. They'd be like, yeah, we're not going to pay for that. Uh, Like they don't even have um, like outside the ship sets. They have that big miniature, which is cool, but they shoot it on the the shitty hand cam on purpose scott scott talks about like we couldn't get the atmosphere around the miniature to look right and we just didn't know what to do so it's like just just give me the vhs camera and i'll just shoot it like that and then you'll you'll just see them looking at the vhs camera and it'll be and it'll cut in and out like it was just like ah, i can't make it work so i'll just do something (laughs) fucking weird and creepy and amateurish that'll end up being crazy you know as far as like the gender st- like I, I I'm more fascinated in, like the subtext of it as opposed to like the actual physical Giger stuff. That stuff is I, I do feel like that's more obvious. Like like if you look at a Giger painting and and you're not like I, I can't imagine somebody looking at a Giger painting and be like hmm what is he trying to say here? This think- is not sexual in any manner. That would just be weird, you know. <laughs> I think for me it's that level like how bodily autonomy is routinely violated for reproduction in the film. Like that's maybe the, not quite, you know, so on the nose in terms of like gender, but like there is no consensual reproduction in the alien, like as a creature, like it's always forceful. It's always violent. And it's that like parasitic piece that I think is really terrifying. Yeah. I think it's, you know, the implicit vulnerability of, us, particularly as like humans like if you think of us as humans like we're um we have a soft skin like a lot of the designs around the parasite uh, or um, i remember the in the documentary memory they talked about how like i think it was carpenter wasps that they like really were inspired by with the alien penetrative like how it like dig through like wood to get to like termite larva um to then put its own larva in that larva it'll like crawl out um something like that i'm not sure the exact details but like we are you know the sort of like sloth fleshy creatures that are vulnerable to penetration both like from like an orifice standpoint but also just like we are vulnerable as soft creatures like we don't have a hardened carapace like you know the alien creature itself does yeah i just always like when i watch it like it gets to kane being on the ship and I just think of it as like it. I mean, essentially, this is it's the aliens, just like you know, both the the face hugger and the the actual. It's just like an embodiment of rape as an idea. It's it's really just like it's just violent and like invasive and terrifying and and the, the, like I said, I, I think one of the things is like I don't feel like a lot of men can put themselves in that situation or thing i mean they can but i mean like just due to patriarchal ideas um you know you don't have that it's difficult to imagine the male body is vulnerable in that way i mean it it's i I don't want to like look i don't want to undermine like it's not usually it's not usually headspace that we put ourselves yes i don't want to undermine like actual you know male survivors and victims and stuff like that or or anything like that but like yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree that men just don't think about that and process it that way. I mean, and I'm not a woman, obviously, so I have no idea how exactly women process it. But, like, to just just watching it, having it being, like, a novel concept and, like, terrifying due to its novelty definitely feels like a reflective moment. It's like, why is this so incredibly weird and uncomfortable and i feel and, and another thing is if you think about kane like if if it was veronica cartwright instead of kane 
the movie would be just completely different in in a not as interesting it, it would be more run-of-the-mill like oh it impregnated a woman you know oh the the alien raped a woman how typical you know what i mean the, the mere fact that it you know they they choose Kane, they they do very specific things in portraying it it's like that's that's kind of what makes it more uncomfortable and and i feel like that had to have been somebody's conscious decision <laughs> i i feel like if it was in a boardroom today like studio execs would be like yeah we'll have it impregnate fucking veronica carter right we'll just do that next week we'll be discussing the 1994 paul walker and denise richards vehicle tammy and the t-rex Y'all, where can we find you in social media? I am at Refreshing Time. Um, complaining about Joe Biden. Joe Biden death clock counter. You don't have to put that in. <laughs> Sorry. I'm... <laughs> I'm at Anime Weed Fart 69. You can find me on Twitter at A Very Big Bear. And to keep up with Chris, you can follow him uh, underscore or at ccr underscore grindcast uh give him a follow uh chris runs a great podcast that talks about magic the gathering uh one of the top podcasts in that field so give him a listen and check him out and we'll see y'all next week with tammy and the t-rex